a super important podcast about hair. Question mark. Featuring Ryan Teal and Stephen Adams as your co-hosts. Let's begin. Hey man. How's it going? Yeah, good. Just gonna put headphones in. Hang in there one sec. Good, oh, Ryan. Hey, how are you? I'm just uh. Hey, Mr. Ryan. Hey, how are you? Going? I'm trying yeah, to. Good, oh, man. I'm trying to um, link my Bluetooth uh, earbuds yep. up to my. Just computer. done it. <laughs> I tell you what. You know what? You want a game changer? This little what? case. This little case is a, like a real game changer. It's got. You just put it flat on a charging thing, so you don't have to plug it in all the time. Oh, it's like your phone you know you can do the wireless charging with your phone that's awesome that's incredible it's just i mean i don't have wireless charging with my phone but jesus for that i really need it those buds they they kind of constantly die don't they yeah yeah they only have so long of a lifespan so it's a good sell on there man it's huge oh yeah this is you want to see the whole shebang it's like this Mm. is one part of it have you and, and this is all the all the new social spacing right yeah this is all this new social spacing and christ almighty social fucking bankruptcy so that's oh, one okay. yeah this is one salon and then we'll go yeah. next door this is the other okay oh, yeah, I so i have you. two of them and then oh, there all we the go. Yeah. back over here Right. And the tape? What's that to do? Oh, for some strange reason, the state law, new state law is that we can't have customers touching the product until COVID's <laughs> over. Ah, yeah, now. I mean. That's my new, so that's my new setup to keep customers from touching it. Right. Okay. How do you sell the damn product? <laughs> I don't know. Recommendation and staff is going to have to just grab it and bring it to the desk. Yeah, you know, what would be kind of cool would be to like put it like behind the desk completely, like like completely like, you know, you know when uh, you go to like uh, the Apple like store cigarettes, they have just one or yeah, cigarettes where you yep. just have one, and like I want that so they run to the back and go grab it like in a storage room. Well, that's kind of what that is. We just don't have a storage room except for the little one that I locked my keys in. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Okay. Yeah, I know. Now I'm kind of like just stuck here. So. Well, so I haven't I haven't seen any of your guys' podcasts, but you know I met Ryan briefly a couple of times. Um, yeah, so really, it's just like just the way we kind of do things. It's yeah. It's, I mean, we we we'll probably ask you, um, you know, a little bit of your history, and then um, just kind of go float free flow, really, and then mm-hmm. we'll ask you about music a little bit later, just because that's something we like to talk about as well. Okay. So, uh, should we go ahead and start? It looks like you're already recording. Yeah, I'm already recording and everything's already going. I just figure we might as well just kind of stumble into it as we always do. Like we always do. Yeah, we always just kind of stumble into everything. Yeah. That's, that's how I do everything. <laughs> Which is kind of makes it, it makes it better, doesn't it? Like when it's all formalized, it gets boring. It does. Oh, totally. I think it's more fun to just kind of see where it evolves and what happens. So, yeah, I think most well, people. So do you want to start, Stephen? Yeah, I'm like I'm, I'm just really excited to have you on on our podcast. I've seen you a few different times. I've seen you and uh, with some of your work back in the day with the Veda. When I used to work with the Veda, I saw you. I think you were was it last year or two years ago? You did stuff with the Rojo at the Rojo Expo. Yep. 
Um, and, uh, you know, it's like I followed your career over the years. You're just very ins inspirational to me. So I'm kind of like really excited to have you on, on the podcast and you're just a really, no, no pressure, no guy. pressure, no pressure. At all. <laughs> exactly. So I'm really excited to just kind of like chat a little bit about it. And I know that you've inspired me with like my own photography and, and photo work. And so I'm kind of like, it's, 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 it's really an awesome pleasure to have you on here. Thanks, man. And then I got to I got to actually tell a story too, cause I'm, I'm straight up fucking fangirling. I yeah. Mean, I was going to um, say, Ryan's been like crying about this. <laughs> no, like, no, 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 no pressure guys. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, what, 2008, um, I, I, I won, I personally won North American Hairdresser of the Year Awards, and in 2009, I won International Hairdresser of the Year. And um, I think about two years after that, I saw uh, something that Randy did, um, and they put it up on Hairbrain, but he put it through YouTube, and it was something that you had done for um, Aveda, where like you built all of the dresses and all the wigs, like within like a 24-hour span for Aveda Congress. Yeah, and it was I, actually I remember 70, watching 70, 72 hours. It was 72 okay, hours. Yeah, well, Rand, yeah. Randy I mean, like, stuck I knew with that us. It was, it was insane. Insane. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and we, I remember I used to watch that thing like like all the freaking time. <laughs> like like I would watch it and then rewatch it and then rewatch it. And I'm like, what is he doing there? And rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it. And then um, and then it got banned on YouTube. And I called up Randy. I'm like, hey, I want I want that video. So he sent me the original. So I have the original because I still oh, watch really? it. Oh really? I didn't even know yeah, it got banned. Why did it, why did it get banned? Because he was using somebody else's music. Oh, uh, seriously. Yeah. yeah. I was like, dude, was take the music out, put it back up. I don't remember. It was actually a really good song that totally went with, with what you were well, doing. I just ask the band. Yeah, like 90% <laughs> of the time, if you actually ask bands these days, they're very, very reasonable. Oh, totally. Totally. And then um, I looked you up after that. I was like, well, who is this guy? And I looked you up and you did a look that was freaking like, it was very similar to the way I did the look when I won, but you did it way freaking better. And, and you know, then like my daughter got involved and she's like, oh my God, you know, she, he's amazing. And she met you. I'm like, that's not fair because you get to hang out with him. And I've never even got to meet him. I've never even been in the same state as you up until like, uh, you know, she, she was a great girl. I mean, listen, yeah. you know, you know me, like if I'm not working, like I'm fully socially awkward. Like if I'm not working, <laughs> it's like, you know, and you know, when people go, yeah, yeah, work defines me. And I'm like, no, work does define me. Like I, you want to talk about work? Not great. Like I'm free flow. Like I'm all, all years. You know, you put me behind the head and, you know, we're talking about hair or, you know, construct or, you know, whatever. I'm free flow. But, you know, in person, like in a bar or something, God, I feel like I've got 10 thumbs. No, you totally. Know, and, yeah. and, both, and, both feet, and both feet in my mouth. It's like, you know, most of the time I'm just like, oi, filter, filter, filter. <laughs> so uh, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history? Like, where'd you come from and all that? Yeah, where did you start? Okay. I don't don't know. Where did I start? I, mean, I was I was born in the I was born in Zimbabwe, southern Zimbabwe, a tiny little town village um, called Plumtree um, on the Botswana border, so fully in the bush. Um, and was born during the time of bush war in in Zimbabwe. Um, you know, there were two different tribes. Um, you know, there were all sorts of jostling for power there. Um, you know, people trying to extricate themselves from colonial rule, people trying to extricate themselves from tribal rule. Um, and then I got to, um, we moved on to South Africa and I went to boarding school. Um, and it was kind of apartheid era. And, you know, it was, I think it was 13, 14, 
when we when okay. we moved. So it was kind of, you know, I'd always been brought up by a houseman. Like my parents were both academics. They were, you know, my mother had me. Two weeks later, she was at work. Um, she was working. They were both academics involved in black education in southern Zimbabwe, the wrong tribe, unfortunately, which is why we got chucked out of Zimbabwe. Um, we moved down to South Africa. I went to boarding school there, and I think it was about May 16, 17. A kid was going to get beaten at school because it was snowball, all boys, like private school, very strict rules, no hair touching your collar, no hair touching your ears. Um, and this kid was going to get this. The housemaster called him in the morning after breakfast, and he said, right, you know, if you don't get your hair cut by 5.30 this evening, roll call time. Roll call was basically this period where you know, they did checks on us periodically because we otherwise we'd go AWOL. Mm. Um, and this kid was gated and he had to have a haircut. And the, the housemaster knew that. And I was like, you know, it was 8.30 in the morning and he left this kid to stew. And, and I was just like, this is so unfair. And I said to the kid, don't worry, we're going to cut your hair after school. You know, after lunch, you know, finish school. After lunch, I'm going to cut your hair. Um, I went to my mate's study and I, I, it's funny, I, you know, we talked about it since the kid actually, he actually had a very terrible accident as it ended up in a wheelchair, but we're still in contact and I cut his hair basically and he wasn't allowed out. So, you know, by 5.30, he was all super smug. He arrived, you know, and he was all like looking clean and shaven and I'd use bookroom scissors and, and a comb and kind of just cut, like I was always obsessed with going to the hairdresser. Like it was a big thing for me to go to the, a salon and mm. prior to that you know prior to senior school i'd always gone to the barber with my granddad and unless it had a barber pole outside i wasn't going because that was sissy mm. you know that wasn't mm. cool um so you know but when i got to sort of senior school it was sort of you know early 80s mid 80s and i was like really into going to the salon and there was this hairdresser that i was kind of obsessed with because she'd been to london and been to sassoon's and she dressed all in black and was really gothy and mysterious um uh, she's a hairdresser cheryl um, cheryl in south africa in pretoria and I, I like used to you know kind of get dressed in the alley into my like civvies which are you know basically your clubbing clothes you know mm -hmm. when you're 16 17 and you get i'd get all dressed up i'd put eyeliner on and you know I'd walk into the hairdressing <laughs> salon and i'd be like all cool you know and all my boarding that all my boarding school clothes because we used to have to wear a straw boater like tie you know full uniform Right. Oh, wow. to, leave, to, leave, to leave school premises. So it was like a big thing getting changed and going to the hairdresser. And I just remember watching how she did it, being absolutely fascinated. I cut this kid's hair um, and it was a success. It actually worked out really well. Then somebody else asked, somebody else asked. And in the end, I had a friend of mine, like literally running an appointment book. At, and we, were, we started off at 50 cents, which is probably the equivalent of about five cents now. Uh, 50 cents in South Africa and we I think we worked up to like two rand a haircut and like you know two rand we were making money I mean you could live you know oh, wow. we were making like you know 50 rand 60 rand a week between us and we were splitting it and we were like buying everybody like cokes and fanters at the sporting <laughs> events and things like that and you know we used to buy smash hits magazine number one magazine magazines that you couldn't really you couldn't get. So we used to buy them for the, like, the boarding school area, like the study, our study set. And we used to kind of all share them out. But we used the money that we made haircutting. And I ended up cutting hair in the boarding school showers. You know, and it was like a big thing almost every single night. And every weekend we'd have like, you know, like half a dozen. I ended up cutting the headmaster, the housemaster, his kids. Wow. 
Oh, and I, you know, before I'd had any training, and then I kind of got to a point where the, there was this uh, woman in the chemistry department, and her husband owned the biggest salon in town, and he was next championship hairdresser, or like a world championship hairdressing championship. It was Hans Weintraut. He, I think, he won the world championships about five times. I think that name sounds very yeah. As I say, he was big back in the day. He passed a couple of years ago, sadly. Um, but you know, and. You know, she sort of said to me, you should go and work in the salon. I was like a Saturday boy, you know, because at that stage I was pushing trolleys at the supermarket to earn money on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's like, it was kind of funny because I was pushing trolleys at the supermarket and I had this thing with Big John. Do you remember when Big John Tate fought Harry Kutzir uh, in yeah. the old fight? Yeah. And yeah. I had Big John yeah. Tate and on the front of my trolley and like a plinth. You know, and all the, in South Africa, in the middle of the racist apartheid. And I was like always rowing with people. You know, the school I went to, very fortunately, my folks sent me to a private school. So it was always multiracial. It was like a big thing for them. But anyway, you know, this woman saw me one Saturday and she said, listen, you could, you, you'd have much more fun in the salon than doing this. You know, and I was getting heckled mm-hmm. for having this big John Tate on my trolley. And I went into, <laughs> into the salon and I wasn't expecting much. I was like, mm, this is not me. You know, all boys school, you're all snobby about that kind yeah. of thing. And my God, I was in heaven. I had, you know, like the two straight owners were both Austrian, you know, which is quite exotic in South Africa. At that time, they were both kind of real ladies, men. You know, they were like, yeah, at that stage, I think they must have been mid-30s. They were a hell yeah. of a funny guys. Very, very successful city center salon. Um, it was called that style, um, you know. And it, it, they had, you know, because he had done the world international competitions. He was well travelled, um, you know. And it was kind of like every, the end of every evening that you know you'd get sent out by a couple of six packs. You'd sit around the reception area, which was this big circular desk, and we would all just shoot the shit in the evenings. And it was like this amazing sense of camaraderie and belonging, you know. And then it was, you know, he was like, you know. Where do you go out? What do you do? You know, and at 16, 17, you know, we couldn't get into the straight clubs in South Africa. So we were going to the gay clubs. And he was like, no, 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 come with me. You know, and he, they'd take, a, take me out clubbing to like places that I could only dream of getting into. Um, yeah, Which is like such a hairdresser thing to be able to, to do, too. Yeah. I mean, they knew everybody. So they were like, of course, yeah, they, yeah. They were like, they used to walk into this club called Jacqueline which was like a, it was like called the supper club. And it was very, very glitzy. I mean, it really looked like something out of Scarface. Um, uh-huh. You know, Jacqueline was the guy who ran it, his wife. And it, um, she was super glamorous. And, you know, she'd come up and she'd swan up, put her arm around me. They'd come yeah. here, I got a sugar mummy for you. And it like, you know, by that stage, I was 17 or 18. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Exactly. <laughs> And, you know, it just kind of evolved from there. The guys sort of said, you know, take a year off and, and come and do this. My po- folks were both academics. They were mortified. Um, uh-huh. You know, my mum was a professor. My dad was a, a doctor at that stage. And I was like, okay, right. You know, I'm going to take a year off to be a hairdresser. And they were just like, Phew, okay. Um, and I did it. You know, after the year, I really enjoyed it. I had such a good time. Like I got into education straight away. Um, like KMS and Redken were very big in South Africa at that time. Okay. Um, okay. You know, I got, um, I got what to years were John this? Meyer. What were years? Was approximately. Was 80, yeah. 80, I think it was about 83, 84. Okay. Yeah. KMS was huge then too. Yep. Yeah. It was huge. Like, you know, and I got uh, into flat out. 
totally. I mean, the Trilogy, Rinse, all those products. I mean, it was amazing. And John Meyer was the distributor for KMS. You know, John Meyer owns Carlton Hair. So, you know, and okay. John basically, you know, we went around to his house in Johannesburg and, you know, he had gold taps and marble everywhere. You know, <laughs> literally a gold toilet. He was living the, the Nouveau Riche dream. Wow. Uh-huh. He was also Austrian, I think, Austrian or German. But I mean, you know, so he got on extremely well with Hans. Uh-huh. And, you know, these, I, had, I just had these guys who mentored me and almost, I mean, you know, it was a very parental sort of thing. Like, you know, like the old school apprenticeship. I was involved in that. I was on sure. day release to college. Like they negotiated day release rather than, you know, kind of doing your block release where you had to get your hours and then you could go to a salon. They negotiated day release and a full apprenticeship for me with the apprenticeship board, which was kind of like, it made me special. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so they were like, how, long they, how long were the apprentices? How long were the, the apprenticeship programs back then? Oh, three, three and a half. I did just okay. under three. And then I basically got to this point where, you know, like two and a half hours in, I was cutting, like we weren't really allowed to, I could cut all my friends. Um, I could cut like, and at that stage, you know, I kind of got all the, all the kids from the boarding schools and, you know, for, that were around the area, around the city. And they used to come into me, mostly boys. And then all the, all the shampooists were all mixed race or black. So we could do all of each other's friends, but we couldn't touch clients. Wow. Um, you know, which is kind of daunting. So, you know, and that's mm-hmm. where I learned to do black hair, like literally hands on mm-hmm. from the girls, the shampooists. And they were incredible. Like, you know, I mean, we just had this amazing time. You know, they, they kind of grow, you know, I mean, in apartheid South Africa, they were separated. You know, and I'd suddenly come in and, you know, I'd put on Jaluka, which is like an, ad, um, it's, it's a band, a South African band that, you know, very popular at the time. And we'd dance around, you know, the salon with clients and, you know, they'd mm-hmm. be like shuffling with, with, with these girls, you know, and they were like, <laughs> this was, you know, some clients were mortified and they were like, what the hell's going on here? And the other clients were like, this is the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> You know, fortunately, the guys were European, so it was very, very lax. It wasn't yeah. like the rest of South Africa at that time. So I think it was, but it was about two and a half years in, and I kind of went, they had a men's barbershop, just like literally opposite side of the shopping center. And it was kind of one of these things where it was half inside, half outside the shopping center. So it had an external entrance at the top of a ramp. At the other side of the ramp, they had the barbershop, which was that style for men. And there was this crazy ass lesbian there who ran it uh, Liz Andrews um, is in Australia I think she's in Australia now I haven't made contact with her for years and years but she basically showed me this book Cutting Hair the Vidal Sassoon Way which I still have the hard mm-hmm. she gave it she gave it to me oh wow that's cool that's cool and I took it home and I was like I want to do this this is mm-hmm. what I want to do this is like this is you know at that stage I was like really into film I was into you know French noir I was into Bauhaus you know, I was really good friends with this hairdresser, Cheryl, who had been to London, uh, you know, and I was like, I have to go to London. I have to go to London. I have to work for Sassoon. Um, you know, and I went home, bought a ticket, told my folks. And two weeks later, I left. I told my boss as well. The, the day after I bought a ticket, I said, I'm going to London. He said, but you haven't qualified. I was like, screw that. You know, these teachers, they're all in the trade test. They don't know anything. Like, you know, qualification, what does it mean? You know, I mean, they, they, they couldn't finger wave. You know, they were trying to teach me to finger wave. And I was like, you can't finger wave. I can finger wave black hair. Come on. You know, you like, mm-hmm. and you're trying to teach me to finger wave a mannequin. And that stage, the mannequin's quite gnarly. Right. 
So, you know, that I got, I got to London, uh, got into Sassoon's, got canned from Sassoon's, got into Tony and Guy, got canned. Uh, you know, literally, I was there like maybe, I think it's Sassoon's, I was there seven weeks the first time around, got canned. Um, then, Who was the director? I was going to say, why did you get canned? Yeah. Oh God, I was I was very outspoken. I mean, I was 21. Um, yeah, I literally just went to went to London just before I was 21. Um, I was extremely outspoken. I had like hair all you know, literally halfway down my back, like shaved on the sides. It was orange and black. I was, I was like a lunatic. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I was just so outspoken about everything. You know, like I, you know, I mean, I can remember. Pam Roscoe pulling me to the side and she's like, dude, you're going to have to learn to zip it up. You know, like it's, you just can't talk to these people. Like, so, you know, somebody called me a spear chucker and I smacked them, you know, in the salon at the, in the oh, school wow. at that stage. Cause I was going through staff training, you know, and they were like, you can't do that here. I was like, you called me a spear chucker. I'm like, that's not acceptable. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, and then I went to Tony and Guy um, and I spent about three months there. I actually met Guida then. Uh, with, and Anthony kind of took me under his wing a little bit at that stage. Like, you know, in the school, I was there, I kind of shampooed. I was like his little shampoo boy there um, for my period in the school when I was doing staff was, training through them. Was that Mayfair? Uh, yeah, yeah it was Mayfair? the one in St. Christopher's, yeah. St. Christopher's place. Yeah, I was on Davy okay. Street salon and there was okay. a guy there that trevor that hated me and and brenda who was the overall manager tony and guy who hated me even more um and then there were some really fantastic people there who, who really looked after me um and you know i got i got canned again now i think yeah, i can't even remember what happened though i think it was like i just continually argued with brenda about everything sure. like, you know they wouldn't let me they wouldn't let me do enough models like they were like, you can only do models two days a week. The rest you have to shampoo. I was like, I've already spent three years shampooing. I know how to shampoo. I can shampoo my butt off any of you. There's nothing worse you know, than having to do an apprenticeship a second time. And you're like, oh, it was hard. brutal. Yeah. It was brutal. I mean, and then I, I managed to get into, you know, once I left there, I was kind of like at sea. And I was like, okay, right. I'm going to, you know, and I sat down and went, said, call Pam Roscoe up. And I said, listen, I need some help. You know, like um, I went to Sassoon's literally to the school doorstep to, at the school in Davies Mews and sort of said, listen, I need some advice. Where do I go? You know, like I don't know anybody. I'm not fitting anywhere. She was like, okay. And at that stage, toning guy had given me a haircut. So like, you know, I looked a bit more regular. I stopped dressing like Angus Young. Like literally, I used to wear the schoolboy shorts <laughs> with a white shirt. Oh, that's right. All <laughs> you know, yeah. And I mean, you know, everybody was like, and I was like, yeah, I was into, I was into ACDC. That was my, that was my jam, you know, and it was, you know, I was like a little metal head, you know, it's, and everybody just, they just couldn't get their head around that, you know, it was new romantic time and all that in, in London. Yeah. And it was a lot more genteel and, and especially Tony and guys as soon as, you know, they were all so cool and they're calm and Yoji and all the rest and yeah. Junior, yeah. Junior Watanabe and, Fujiwara and all that stuff and I was just like I don't get that you know you're gonna pay 500 bucks for a tracksuit that doesn't make any sense to me (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt yeah (laughs) uh, you know and then I joined Casley and Co and Casley and Co was kind of it was a really interesting salon it was a guy called Greg Casley David Adams the colorist was my boss yeah um David made me his junior almost straight away and I said you know at that stage they stocked AMS and I was like 
yeah, I know all about this. I know I can tell you the history of Jerry Redding. I can tell you all the constituents, mm-hmm. tell you the break. He's like, right, you're in charge of product straight away. So I kind of ran the product and the product sales. And, you know, oh, at that wow. stage, you know, like in South Africa, we grew up like on commission. We used to get 20% commission and have competitions. So I won a Wigo dryer when I was an apprentice. So I came across, you know, and walked in, you know, to these salons with a Wigo dryer and everybody was like, what? You know, at that stage. And then... Was it the cool, was it the cool like, a tap-on Wigo, the, the, the chrome one? Yeah, the chrome one that ran so yeah. slowly. It was ridiculous. But I mean, you know, it burned the shit out of your hand. It burned the shit out of your hand, too. So if you clamped it between your legs, you literally got third-degree burn. so long. And then I got one, and I was like, nope. No, I, mean, I did. I did they, clamp it between my legs once, and I did get third degree burns on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that thing got so hot. I mean, that would. Be, I still have know, it like somewhere. I, I kind I, of used that, and then you know they told me like, okay, you know, look, you got to try and you know. Uh, I mean, I had Eugene. Eugene was there. He was at Trevor Sorby. Okay. So, in the evenings, uh-huh. I used to go over to Trevor's, clean the salon, and then I was allowed to stay in their tra- staff training. Paul Windle opened up uh, up the road. Oh, wow. And, kind of I'd go and watch their staff training and do a bit of cleaning for them. And I mean, literally David let me sleep on the towel bags and then he would come in on them, you know, on like a Friday night, he'd let me work all night, sleep on the towel bags. He'd come up and, you know, I'd be like doing a wash down with a towel at the, at, you know, preparing for Saturday. Wow. And he'd be like, bring me like a t-shirt from Covent Garden markets on a Saturday morning. And he did this, I mean, like 50 times. So, you know, I mean, oh, I wow. still, I literally haven't thrown away some of those Covent Garden t-shirts to this day, 35 years later. Um, That's cool. You know, it's just, That's really it cool. was just like, you know, I mean, they, they just, I think between Greg, there was Eugene there. There was a guy called Steve Moore who's got a salon up, up near Boston now. Still in touch with you. They were just like these incredible hairdressers. There was a guy called Joseph who I was his assistant for a while. Just a really ainly retentive exosoon guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a real precision haircut, he ended up at Nicky Clark. I think he still is. I mean, he did very well. Um, mm-hmm. there was a girl called Duran, um, who, you know, God knows where most of these people went, but they were just like really, really, she was Scottish. There were some really incredible hairdressers, but really eclectic. And everybody, it was like, unlike any other salon in London at that time, because he, they used to let the St. Martin's students do the windows, the shop windows. So it was okay. like free-form arts. It was like nuts. Um, you know, and I got involved with all those students and I was like, you know, we started playing together, doing bits and pieces. I mean, they were incredible. It was just like, it was like the coolest salon in London that had the most free-form approach to everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys know, you know David Adams. You know, he's, yeah, a, yeah. He's, yeah. he's a very smart guy. Like, and he knows how to get the best out of people. And I think, you know, we always had the best music. I mean, we had, had this guy called Darkus, who I think uh, he was an assistant with me. And I think Darkus, he's got an OBE, I know that. And I think he's, he's vice president or president of Island Records worldwide now. Oh, wow. Oh. Wow. And we were assistants together. You know, and he'll, he'll tell you, he was the total inspiration for him getting into the music business was David and all the mixtapes he used to make us. That's kind of you know, that's cool. Yeah. I think hair and music really go really hand in hand. I mean, I would say, you know, yes. what keeps you going? What keeps yeah. you going yeah. in the salon? Hey, you know, if you've got yeah, good totally. tunes going, you can get through any number of nightmares. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes for life, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you're having a crappy day and I'm like, you know, 
I'm busy like going, oh, what are we going to do here? You know, like, a, you know, with these riots. I got, I got stuck here the other day. I, I, I flew to Switzerland to do, I got covered, went to, went to Switzerland to do, do a client once I'd recovered. Um, and they denied me boarding back to the US last end of um, at the weekend. So I had to stay overnight at the hotel at the airport to fight them. So mm-hmm. I wasn't put in holding at the airport. They wanted to put me in transit holding, but the next day was a public holiday. And I was like, oh God, I got to London. And I was just like, I got here and I was really miserable. I was like, you know, New York's pretty much my, you know, it's my favorite home, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I've got, I live between London, New York and Toronto, but New York for me, for, it's my workplace. It's where I feel kind of validated and human. Okay. And I got mm-hmm. back to London and I've got, you know, I've got an amazing place here, a whole wall full of windows. It's like beautiful. And I, I kind of woke up the next morning and I put Otis Redding on and like, like everything was good again. Right. Everything was good again. <laughs> yeah, and I was just yeah. like, yeah, exactly. okay, this is good. You know, these people are rioting and going crazy there. I don't need to be there. I already lived through that in South Africa and Zimbabwe. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Fat, fat lot of good it accomplished there. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully something will, Kind of be accomplished now but who knows hey yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. It, it's crazy steven steven totally was going like right at like ground zero for all that yeah it was like yeah. all started like well the original like death of uh george floyd was like six blocks away and then Oof. about where the police station where they where all the riots started it was about 10 blocks away so it's like and we're as right in the middle and then four blocks from me mm. where there's lake street which is basically gone now That's so did they just burn it down destroy it yeah. i mean you know listen you know what one thing coming from africa that you learn is that you know there's only one way to affect change and you know we should have learned that in the states from the 60s from you yeah. know Bobby Seale, Huey Newton, Malcolm X, you mm. know, um, all of that. Like, they were smart. They were extremely well-educated, extremely well-armed, extremely together, extremely mobilized, and ex- extremely efficient. You know, and if they couldn't do it then, and we're repeating the same history that was then repeated in 91 with Rodney King, and now we're repeating mm. it again, can we not look at Mandela and go, the dude had some a good idea of what what would kind of affect practical change, you know. And like he yeah. really, you know, he really did, you know. And whether he drew on a bit of Gandhi there, or where he got it from, you know, all his different sources. It it just he knew that violence and destruction leads to more violence and destruction. We you know we always people go racism is learned, so is violence and destruction learned. Yeah. You know, it, it's like, yes, you know, like it's, you know, vandalism, like, you know, and theft, like, how does that, yes, I understand you're angry, but burning down your own house, burning down your own schools, that's what they do in Africa. Where's mm-hmm. it got them? It's got them an even more corrupt government, probably the most corrupt government in the world right now in the ANC. Wow. Um, you know, and, and we're, we're probably what are they doing? Like, I'm yeah, yeah we come horrible. in a close second. But I mean, but you know what? People, you know, people say that, but I, I think, I really think we've had the problem is is it, it's socioeconomic empowerment. This is what this is about for me. Like you mm-hmm. know, 
and this is the problem with racism in America, is you know, the socioeconomic empowerment hasn't happened rapidly enough in the last 50 years. You know, we had, you know, the, the Panthers and all that movement, and they fought and they achieved a huge amount legitimately. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and, and the next generation just let it, let it slack. Yeah. You know? And, you know, you've got 13% of the population are black, okay, with around 40 million people. You've got 40% of them classifying themselves as middle class right now. But then you, you've got, you know, and 40%, around 40%-ish own their own homes. But then you've got another 30% who don't, who are below the poverty line. And I'm like, guys, you, you, you can't keep people below the poverty line like that. It's yeah. like, you know, yeah. if 30% of your country is below the poverty line, that's why they're rioting. Oh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, like, it's, it's like, why did they give us stimulus? Why did they give everybody in America stimulus checks? To stop you rioting, to make, you know, to, you know, because placate. it placates you. Yeah. It, it placate yeah. you. It, you know, well, that, that the myth of Stalin and the chicken. Mm-hmm. You know, he pulls the chicken's feathers out and then, you know, throws it some crumbs and the chicken follows him. And he's like, you know, you've only just got to give them a little bit and then they'll follow you. And I mean, that's their logic right now. And I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, you know, like it's, you've got this 30% of, of 40 million people, you know, and you've got 40% to own their own homes, which is, fantastic percentage by any worldwide standard yeah you know and but it's just people have just ignored this you know that 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 30 percent who are just living below poverty line and you know we've all been broke some stage in our lives we're you know almost every hairdresser has and i think this is one unique thing that brings hairdressers together is we've all been broke at least once or twice in our lives hairdressers yeah. do it. you know you you fall out with a salon or whatever you suddenly you're unemployed you know it's it's a peripatetic business you know one moment you're making a ton next moment you're making zip yeah and i yeah, think we, totally. we all, yeah. but, but we all go yeah we get it so you know in a way i think hairdressers are i don't want to blow our own horn but i think we're in a unique position to understand the desperation that these people are in and they've been held there and because of their socioeconomic level they have been made victims because they can't afford attorneys every time they get nailed exactly yeah. You know? yeah. and it's not that and it's not that you know white people don't get nailed yeah what people we, we can all go yeah 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 we get nailed too but that's not the point we can afford a lawyer if we get nailed yeah exactly you know? and yeah I, and, I, and i think that's the thing you know like it's you know, I had a housing dispute last year. Twenty years of having a rent-stabilized apartment in New York. Did I really deserve it anymore? Probably not. But you know, when they kind of came to nail me, I hired a lawyer to get me out of it. Yeah. You know, but fortunately, I was in that position where I could hire the lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, once you understand that, and you you and we understand like the roots of a revolution and why that revolution is going to take place. And I think, you know, it's, it's, you know, and you could take that across to our industry. Why has our industry had this educational revolution now? Why has education suddenly become so important? Because it just became about, you know, money, 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 money. And none of us, you know, sell, sell, sell. But that wasn't why any of us became hairdressers. Right. 
you know, it, it doesn't, didn't feed any of our souls. So in the same way they're having a revolution, our business is having a revolution. And it totally is. And, and I mean, I feel like it's going to have like, we're going to see some negative effects for a short time. But like me and you have talked a couple of times that like, you know, some of those negative effects I'm kind of looking forward to. Like I'm looking forward to like no classes for a little bit. I mean, I spent the last, I, I taught 700 classes last year. I don't really want to right. teach classes right now. I, I want to like yeah. back off a little bit and let the, the online classes, you know, work, play out for a little bit. Because I think that when hands-on classes come back and when shows come back and all that kind of stuff, it's going to be that much more fun again. I think we're going you know? to go back to like, you know, that, that kind of 80s fun. Yeah, that's what I want to get Yeah, me to too. Personally. You know, like yeah, I, I said to these kids, yeah. my God, we used to have, a whale at a time of hair shows, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, you hear about the big, you go to the big hair shows now, and it's a snooze fest. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. people go, you know, me, you, I'm like, you know what? I would set up lockers and I'd check phones. That's the first thing I'd do at mm-hmm. a hair show. Yeah, you know, when yeah. we get back to hair shows, I come in your in the Ziploc bag. Here's your name. Here's your number. Put it in a locker. We're not going to take yeah. cell phones into this. You're going to learn how to party without a cell phone. <laughs> and I, it, yeah, you know, because really, that's, good luck with that one. I mean, <laughs> we, but we have to. We have to. There has to be a social revolution here. Where social media, yes, it's got value. Yes, it gets a lot of things out of it out there. But you know, yes, it's about freedom of speech. But I don't think that freedom of speech is you being used particularly wisely. Um, you know, a lot of it's. Me too, and virtue signaling, and calling people out, and you know, I was here, and you know, blatant narcissism, um, yeah, you know, which yes. you know, and all the rest of the vapid shit that goes with that. And I'm just like, I don't think that's good for our industry, and I don't think it's good for society. And we are a mirror mm-hmm. of society, you know. You think every every person, like you know, what do they say? You you want to get something around? Telephone, telefax, uh, tele hairdresser. It's you know, like it's, <laughs> you know, we have we have major power and leverage. You know, you touch what even if you're touching ten people, you know, five ten people a day, you're coming into contact with. You look at that exponentially. It's huge. Yeah. Oh yeah. Huge, yeah. huge numbers. I always figure that hairdressers are kind of like the connector, you know, of a community. You know, it's like the person that can connect the community together in a really awesome way. Or a really negative way, depending on how they utilize it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it is. It's 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 the two-headed snake, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. It's the two-headed snake, and you just hope it doesn't swallow itself. Which one? It's just which one swallows which end. <laughs> I kind of I kind of can't wait until the whole like Zoom thing goes away. I mean, like I like that. Like Steve and I have been using Zoom for a while for our podcast. Like way like, before it became really, popular. Yeah, but I'm really tired of like the the multi screens and like classes that people are trying to do, and and manufacturers are doing that because they're like trying to get rid of educators and and you know they they hired a bunch of like social media famous hairdressers that weren't vetted that that get in trouble on stage by saying things that they probably shouldn't have said on stage. Uh, but I mean, if that's they were just vetted, happened, they... doesn't it? It's just back. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, you know, in that way, I think the calling out is a good thing. Like, you know, like mm-hmm, I think totally. you know, we want to improve our industry. You know, for me, I, you know, I want educated, articulate people in the industry. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to have, you know, dissent. Like I'm not, I love a good argument. I love a good mm-hmm. difference of opinion. 
but come at it intelligently. You know, almost like, you know, when you hear the guff that comes out of people's mouth and, you know, you're like, why would you hire him in the first place? You know, right. and, and how did someone like that garner so much popularity? And then you realize that it's the same way as we end up, you know, with a redneck as a president. It's like, you know, because <laughs> a huge sector of our population of hairdressers have turned into rednecks. And I, you know, I for one would like to see those salons fall. Like it's, I'm not, I'm not about diversity there. I think we should yeah, be open-minded. Yeah. I think we, we should have cross-sectional abilities. I think hairdressers mm -hmm. should be, we've always been so permissive through history. You know, if you watch that movie Amadeus, what do you say, mm -hmm. um, you know, who wouldn't rather listen to their hairdresser than listen to the lords who think they shit marble? You know, and oh, it's wow. like, yeah. Yeah. you know, back at, you know, in, in Mozart's days, you know, when hairdressing was, you were in a salon situation where there were no mirrors. It, you know, the, it was a hand mirror situation and the ladies of court used to sit around and gossip and drink and, you know, do whatever they did. And that, that I think was an interesting time for hairdressing. I really think, you know, I look back at those salons, you know, and when I first came, I, I can remember going to see a salon in Paris that was in, like, in a studio upstairs and they had four chairs, I think, in a, in a like, circle around. And I was like, wow, this is unusual. It was that, um, oh, what was his name? I can't even remember. It was a French, French guy who passed recently. And I went, he had like a small private atelier. And it was really uh, was it fantastic. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't no, no. Um, no, no, it was in France. Um, Eve. Uh, it'll ring back. No, I mean, yeah, you know, no. it was basically like, a, it was like an, a salon, a historical salon. And, you know, he was telling me about how, salons used to be historically it wasn't a woman facing a mirror you know that was really brought about by in in the 60s you know and really, it oh, really? brought about yeah because before then we didn't have it you know in the days of raymond teasy wheezy it was much more so social women would face each other and they used these hand mirrors to look at themselves then they had these gilt mirrors on the wall and then it came to sassoons and all about precision where you worked with your client almost as a subject or an object um, you know, which is something what that an interesting I concept. I've always, I mean, I love the idea of not having mirrors. I've always wanted to do that, but I've gotten so much, so many people are freaked out by the concept. Yeah. Well, Michael Gordon did it. Michael Gordon did it. it yeah. Up, so I was about to bring that up. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. My friend, I've got a friend um, in, in Australia and she's got a view of the bridge and it's just this beautiful thing where the clients just face the bridge and look out and it, it oh, requires man. kind of, it's a paradigm shift in, trust and communica communication basically but it's like if you think like when you cut your friend's hair at home do you have a mirror no no you don't Half the time when you're on the show if you're like doing shows or doing education you don't have a mirror yep you don't yeah. have a mirror so but you ha and think about the level of trust there and i think this is the kind of clientele that you know that this is the opportunity to kind of go okay you know we're social distancing you don't have the mirror now. You've got to go over to the mirror to look. And I'm going to use the mirror now as a real tool. Yeah. We're going to put the chair sideways. And, you know, maybe we can kind of rejig things about in the salons like that. That'd be a great marketing, man. I mean, I, I think any salon that could come out with that, I think that'd be a great marketing. And I also think that really, like, I think that, that all of this could lead back to uh, specialization as well. Um, please. You know, please. I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. Like, like back to like, I, I, I can't do color to save my life. Like I, yeah. I can't get foil to stick. I'm no um, longer doing color. 
That's I, great. I, I, I think I saw that on your website, actually. Yeah, I'm switching to only doing only doing um, hair cutting again. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, I, I really and then was that, either, was that after this COVID period yep. that you've done that? So starting next week, I'm only cutting hair again. So See, so this is, last... I, and, and how liberated do you feel now already before you well, doing we'll it? We'll wait and see. The clients are going to just freak out. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have a colorist? Have you got um, a good yes. colorist in place? Yep. You have. I mean, you know, then you start There's that chemistry out, between but... you and the colorist. And it's a lot, it's proven. It's a lot, client retention is a lot easier if they're two of you working on the same clients. Agreed. Yeah. It's like when I used to work for Horst Ruckelbacher in Aveda, that's, yep. I was... I was a haircutting specialist and I worked with two different colorists and it was amazing. But then yeah, when no, I was so crazy one, chemistry, I like, right? I'm going to like do everything. What, what do you think the, the, what do you think the formula would be for, uh, or the ratio colorist to haircutter? Like how many, how many colorists do you need for one haircutter to handle? I, I mean, like I, I was thinking two to three. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. two seemed to be really good for me. To, it depends yeah. on how busy you are and depends on, um, you know, but I would think you would need to have like two to three would be about right. Two is good. Three is better. And then now, how, does a hair, how, does a, how does a hair cutter make as much money as a colorist then? So what I did is I booked every half hour. Wow. And Ooh. so I'd have a new haircut every half hour. and. So that way, like the colorist would color, and then I would. And, do, and are you blow drying? Are you blow drying in the salon? I had, I had an yeah. assistant, so like. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. And they would do all the all the blow drying and shampooing, and I would just every Which, half hour. That's something I've pushed for years. It's like stop, you know, using assistants to hold sections is ridiculous. You know, you can buy a ten buck box of clips. You know, yeah. And 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 you know, you've replaced a human being, and it's like you know, let let the assistants blow dry work them up to a point where they can work almost in a blow dry bar and start getting that client culture, mm -hmm. you know, the handling of clients. Once they've got that social skill, then teaching them to cut becomes easy. Mm -hmm. And instead of holding yeah. them back and, and they can then make more money, you know, so yeah. they're actually generating money for your business and for themselves. Yeah. The only part good about having them hold hair as, as human clips is just kind of like they learn the sectioning and understand that. Yeah. But it, until they actually like blow dry hair, I don't feel like they actually really learn anything. Understand. Yeah. You know, I but feel also like, 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 like watching haircuts is excruciatingly boring. Paint yeah. dry. Especially after about, it's exciting for about two months. Yeah. yeah. Or, two months, or two haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> if you and, and then they make and then, and then you think most most assistants do it for three years. Oh, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I I was unlucky. I never really got to assist for anybody. I did my entire my entire apprenticeship program was was essentially on stage, um, and I had to stand backstage and watch you know Scott Cole and you know I was about to say Robert Crummies, but I didn't really watch him much. Um, you know, and, and the Chadwicks and, and all that. that. That's where I got my apprenticeship program. So when I watched haircuts, I literally got super bored because they were just doing hair show hair. Right. Know, and, and it was nothing like actual standing behind the chair. I already owned a salon, but when I got out of beauty school, you know. Yeah. So it's like I, I didn't get to apprentice anybody. You know, so, so now going back and watching somebody, Gerard is a great example. When you, when you look yeah. at somebody who can cut hair and they have beautiful hands, you know, um, and it's just like, whoa, I've never even noticed that. 
you know, now I've learned to right. appreciate it because I've seen enough now. That right. I mean, you can do things. You can do a lot of things in reverse, can't you? It's like yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah. To, and and to people who go, you need formal training. I'm always like, I don't know. You know, you look at you know one of the greatest living art, well, greatest architect ever for me is Tadao Ando, and he was a boxer. And I'm like, really? okay, you know, how do, how do you go from boxing to being, you know, such an accomplished architect? And it, it's sure. it's irrelevant where you learn or how you learn. It's that you learn that's important. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. that you continue to assimilate information and be able to process that and utilize it. You know, that's, that's a, that's that's a great quote. I'm, I'm stealing that, by the way, Peter. I'm, I'm going to steal the, uh, it's not, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I'm going mean, to put that up on social no. media tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 but, I, but I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, I mean, that's why you do these things because, you, you know, you're there to, generate like a new train of thought like you know for me mm. I've always hated interviews always shied away from them and then you know sort of during this COVID period one you know when I was damn bored sitting in New York like in the in the flat and I was like okay what am I going to do now and you know somebody asked me would I do an interview and in online and I was like I don't do I have anything to say and they were like just let's have a chat and I was like you know as soon as people <laughs> don't ask you all the cliched stuff then it becomes interesting yeah. and you just right, become exactly. like a bunch of mates just having a chat and right. yeah, yeah. Interest, interesting stuff comes out you know i mean i've had 35 years of this amazing life traveling the world you know that i didn't really appreciate until now like i appreciated yeah i was i'm, I'm really lucky to have that but i didn't appreciate how much other people were interested in it vicariously and how privileged I was to have had that experience it, not in a cheesy way, but like I'm, I've been incredibly lucky. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and you know, yes, the harder I've worked, the luckier I've become the old cliche applies, but you know, it's just one of those things that I look at it now and you know, people go, well, what about this country? And what about, how do they do head differently here? And you know, I was having a discussion the other day and it was so interesting talking to people about you know now like how do you how do you charge more for your service for me products goes back to horse goes back to students mm -hmm. you know like you know why why did we have products you know look uh, you know my mate um masa honda has this beautiful shampoo room with horizontal takara bed mm -hmm. the shampoo sits on the chair behind at the head of the person person can have a hand massage foot massage the entire room is just one shampoo bed it all dims everything goes down and it becomes like a whole spa treatment moment you know there's oh, you, you know you rub they rub all the all the all the lotions and potions and you got all the you know yeah. the 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 product on your wrists so everything's aromatic you've got candles burning you've got this and they put these weighted blankets on top of the clients so you've got that sense of security oh, and I'm like, yeah. it's not just a blanket. And I was like, can I have a shampoo? And I was like, <laughs> I normally hate, I'm like, I don't like having my head. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, come sit down, let's do it. And I was like, Oh my God, this is gold. This is, this is a solid gold because this is really what clients will, will come for. And well, that's the you know, playing with the aromas of this, of the things, you know, and he was like, Oh, we, you know, Rub, rub a bit of the, the oil or on, on your wrist. And then, you know, when you're talking about the conditioner, you know, you're not just got the conditioner on the head up here. You've got the conditioner moving around the client's face. 
Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, what is that? Is that a treatment? What is that? You know, and at that stage, I'll show you when we get back to the chair. And at that stage, you do the old school, line it up and they grab it rather than you kind of having yeah. to move to the reception area. That, you know, and it becomes about almost like a doctor's recommendation rather than a sell. And yeah. I think that, that idea of retailing, a lot of the big companies have gunned us into this idea of sales and retailing instead of prescription. And I think prescription for me is even a, it's a step ahead of recommendation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, this, and, these and, are the things you need. Yeah. 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 And, and if you can do that for a client, then your head, you've also liberated yourself time-wise because you know, you give someone a 20 minute shampoo and you put them in the chair for 40 minutes. You know, I can't, I can't do 30 minute haircut. Forget it. It's like, you know, I'm a, I, I do two hour appointments when I do, but you know, like I'm <laughs> yeah. able, able very lucky again to have clients who are very fussy, you know, like, and none of my clients come back in under three months. Um, you know, like three months, if they're not at the three month mark, I'm like, you know, start niggling me like a week or two before I'm like, no, you know, I do so few clients. I'm like, live with it. And then they go the next morning or two days later, they go, you were right. It's actually amazing. And I'm going to push it another month because I have time to kind of get through that precision and tailoring mix that I really feel, you know, for me is what it's about. Like, you know, doing the technical haircut, that's as soon as you get drilled with that, you know, right. that gets inculcated into your brain at such a level, but the tailoring is what becomes exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, you know, I think we call personalizing back in the day. Yeah. You know, like it, and I, and I think once you get that time to do that and you get the facility to do that, I'd rather, charge another 50% for my price, you know, yeah, and, and really. I'll lose, I'll, I'll lose a percentage of clients, but I'm okay with that right now. Um, you know, I'd, I'd rather yeah. lose 50% and, and have people who really appreciated it and I'll build up again slowly because I don't want to be doing what I did before. Yeah, exactly. I, I love, you know, me, uh, me and you had that conversation the other day, Peter, um, where we were talking about how like, you know, you're actually kind of excited that like you're not going to be doing really a lot of the stuff that you have been doing for so long. Like I'm excited that like education is changing completely, you know, because that's forcing me to into to, you know different avenues of what I could be doing. But you were talking about how like you're super excited that you know, you know, you may not have some clients that you used to have for years, and it kind of sucks that you're not going to be doing that, but you're going to be doing some other things. And I know you're looking at like um, you know other studios around around New York and and whatnot. Yeah. Why, Talk about that just really quickly, because I thought that I mean, was I think, like you know, there's there's been this kind of weird situation where you know editorial hairdresser has been, you know, so aspirational, mm-hmm. and I try and explain to people that actually it's not a great quality of life. It really, you know, like doing it, I can, I can, you know, being quite objective about it, it's a, it's actually a shit life, you know, like mm-hmm. it's it's amazing on one hand you get to travel, but it's incredibly lonely. And that's a fact. Like it, you know, like it, it really is. You're on your own. A lot. People go, weren't you lonely doing COVID? I'm like, hell no. I, I'm fine not seeing people for eight weeks because you know my interaction with people socially is so limited. I go to work. You go home to a hotel room or you know wherever you are, and it's so you know if you went out to dinner with a client nowadays, like those days of long drawn up protracted dinner and drinking with clients, that's gone. Yeah. You know, even going back to, you know, Aveda, like, you know, when I was consulting for Aveda and we were doing those crazy shows, you know, it was about having my team of like 
you know, 12 or 15 guys, a designer, a makeup artist, and we were all collaborating. And it was like this amazing zoo mentality. And then that's where the PG Zoo came from, actually, from that, from that first Vader show when we were like, let's go and do everything in 72 hours, three days, everything, start to finish. Like the whole concept of the show. You know, and the designer brought fabric. And, you know, I mean, we got really amazing people. I mean, Deborah Milner was McQueen's you know, couturier at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, she came and we had Rudy and he was yeah. kind of in his prime. He was incredible. And his team, um, you know, and I had this amazing team of hairdressers around me of people who were just, you know, I mean, Jesus, some of them, are, I mean, Taka Shibata is like better than I'll ever be. He's like a better, he's an incredible creative. You know, Mus is like the most disorganized organizer you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. He manages to enact the craziest ideas and get them executed. Um, and, you know, I mean, he, I mean, to his credit, he's, he's, he's the creative director in Japan now. And, you know, it's, he, they were just about to do that master jam there, which got pulled due to COVID. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping that, that, I'm hoping that that'll move with the Olympics and happen next year. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, working with that team of people, makes it exciting it's like you know getting all your staff back in the salon however few are there i think it's about getting the right tunes on it's about getting back to a different mentality where you know if you're only cutting hair or if you like for me i'm excited to do clients i was talking to helen oppenheim this evening and she she was like where do you want to go and i'm like oh, i don't know there's so many good options at the moment you know like a like I'd love to do some hair in Toronto for with with at Ray's salon. He's got oh, this yeah. beautiful little atelier salon. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and I'd he love does. to do some hair. There are a couple of salons in New York, like John Barrett's got this incredible salon. You know, for me it's like one of the most beautiful salons. You know, it mm. really is. It's like it's kind of like your it's just a gigantic open space and yeah. you know, this, this 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 it's all dotted around the stations. And a bit more eclectic, and I just love That's you know, awesome. and all the products against the wall, and the clients can go and browse and touchy feely, which they're not supposed to do apparently now, but <laughs> you know, give them give them some rubber gloves. Um, I think I think it's you know I think really that we need to we can't talk about change anymore in the industry, and I think we've all got to that stage and age where I mean, I mean whatever happens, we know we're going to make a living. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's like, you know, with COVID, everyone's like, how are you going to do it? I'm like, you know what? You've been offered so many private haircuts, you could do them at home on the deck or on your roof or wherever that you could make a living. So we know that it's not about that anymore. Um, you know, and liberating yourself from the chattels of kind of company education. You know, I've been incredibly mm-hmm. lucky. Like I've taught for, well, I mean, what, you know, eight or 10 different major companies over the years, like in, had contracts with most of them, mm-hmm. you know, and I've got to a point now where, you know, the shoe is kind of like, they're so comfortable, you know, shoe and care, the Kerastase, with the Kerastase link, I've mm-hmm. got the best of the care and the best of the styling, you know, and for me, it's just got to a point where I don't need to really, very rarely, you know, people will bring me products now and I'll try it and I'll be like, hmm, not as good as, hmm, it's not as good as. Yeah. When you yeah. When you get to that point, it's like finding that dream car that's the best car for you or that pair of scissors, which, you know, doesn't cost a fortune. Mm-hmm. You know, like, a, yeah. 
it, it's, it's just like, I don't need $1,500 scissors. I, they don't feel good in my hands. I'm scared. Um, I recently got given a pair of wings by Sam Han. Yeah. And they t- it took me back to really early Sassoon days. And I've always come to the, the $150 Matsuzakis. And these are kind of, they're basically the same sort of weight. They're, they're four and a half. So they're a little smaller, a little more precision, mm-hmm. um, which kind of goes well with how I'm evolving. I only got them like a month and a half ago, just, just before COVID they came to oh, me. Oh, yeah. I did Lupe when just, um, I did Lupe's haircut. was my first haircut with them. And I've been using them now as I've been sort of catching up with clients in Europe because Europe's more or less open for business. You know, there's a bit of social distancing going on, but, you know, you wear a mask and you get on with it. And right. then you have That's your Purell, Purell sitting on the there. table. And yeah, I think it's, I think the paranoid thing, you know, the level of paranoia is, you know, it's out of control. People just have to be pragmatic. You know, like, you, yeah. you know, we've got the authorities pushing and pulling and giving us so much erroneous information. And it's a bit like, it's a bit like a hair, learning to cut hair. Do it like this. No, no, do it like this. And one person goes, at the end of the day, do what's good for you. Like, if you want to wear yeah. gloves, wear gloves. If you want to use, you know, Hibiclens, use Hibiclens. If you want to use Purell, use Purell. Like, do what's good for you. Because at the end of the day, you're risking your health. Yeah. You know, and I think this, this is the pragmatic thing. Like, you know, having had it, I'm, I'm kind of very pragmatic about it. And I was like, you know what? I put myself in that situation situation where i got sick and i jeopardized other people and i don't want to be like that again you know i don't want to be in that situation again so i am extra careful you know i flew in a hazmat suit with goggles and n95 and people are like whoa you're extreme and i'm like no i'm actually extremely respectful so you know i've had it so the chances are i can't get it you know my antibody tests have been going up i've been having them every seven days oh wow wow uh, you know, like I'm, I've been extremely diligent with it. And I think, you know, I've approached that like I approach my work. If I don't know how to do something, I make sure that I get damn good at it. Right. You're like master. You know, and it's, yeah. yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, talking to Masse, I was like, okay, he was going through his whole preparation. And I was like, okay, what about squish mats in the salon? I was like, because otherwise people are carrying, you know, whatever's on their shoe, the spit off the pavement or whatever gnarly's on the pavement which is inevitable if someone coughs with you cough down, it's on the pavement, it lives on the pavement and they're walking that into your salon. They put their bag on the floor because, or in their, you know, something's yeah, on the floor. Yeah. You go home with it. You take your shoes off every day and you leave them at your front door. You're, in Japanese culture, you're leaving your shoes there, which is hygienic, but you're also touching your shoes. Yeah. You know, so I was like, put a squish mat in, you know, with, the, with you know, the Hibiclens or some equivalent surgical spirit so that it, it, you know, your shoes, every client who walks in your salon. Uh, because everybody's worried That's about the surfaces idea. and the products and things like that. But they've forgotten that your feet are really the things that are tracking the most muck in. If you just think oh, about yeah. a muddy, yeah. a muddy rainy oh, day, you know, and that, that's what this virus is. It's just dirt, basically. You know, like it's... Yeah, you know, I never thought about it. That's a good idea. You know, and it's, it's something that... I'm going to have to run for just out. a quick second. Yeah, go for well, it. Well, you know, let's so you let's say, uh, or or when I was because uh, I got I got to split too, and I know it's late in uh, England. Let's ask the last question that we usually ask, Stephen. All right. Well, you guys go ahead. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. So, um, right. Peter, so you're stuck. Actually, we we were saying on a deserted island, and then we we're saying COVID, but now it's post COVID. But you know, 
top 10 albums that you can't live without or you couldn't live without during the whole like quarantine thing like like what what were you into or either uh band i would say more bands you don't even have to get into albums but but bands would be would be great top 10. i listened to very very little music during COVID. very mm -hmm. little which is very strange for me because i normally live with music you know, my sure. phone's full of music. I, you know, I've got Spotify, I've got Apple Music, I've got, you know, endless downloads. But I got into movie soundtracks in a really, really okay. big way. Um, you know, like for me, the movie soundtracks was the thing that kind of got me through. And I think because it gave me the movie soundtracks set a mood. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting for me, like, to have. It wasn't like a band where you know you listen to a couple of tracks and then you don't like four or five tracks and um like i was listening to i think of anything what got me through covered was probably old biggie really old biggie okay. smalls that, okay, that was yeah. kind of the one thing that i listened to on repeat again and again now did i have 10 no definitely didn't it, um i had all the lynch soundtracks all the david lynch okay. soundtracks Okay. Um, yeah, I yeah. To, I listened to Industrial Symphony, which is a, a movie that he did um, as a collaboration. Which I, the music's incredible, like just mind blowing. Um, just really is exciting. Um, I listened to a lot of Hans Zimmer. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, love Hans Zimmer. Yeah, I love what and, he did with the whole like Depeche Mode thing. Like, it's incredible, isn't it? It's like yeah, know, like, yeah. It's really, and and it's just like every movie. Like, you know, the, every soundtrack, it's, it's like a vocabulary. The whole movie is a vocabulary. And it sets the tone for everything in a way that someone's voice or monologue would set the tone. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I really didn't have a huge amount. Yeah, you know, I listened to some old Patrick Cowley when I was feeling really miserable. Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, um, you know, it was an old dance guy from the 80s, Megatron Man, okay. and stuff like that. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but I didn't listen to any of my usual music. You know, I didn't listen to kind of eh, any of the rock that I'm into normally. Like, you know, I normally like pretty heavy stuff. Um, I listened to. Has it changed? Has it changed? Voodoo. Has it changed since then? Like, like, like now that like we're pretty much out of the COVID thing, I don't think we're fully out of it, obviously, but, but like, has your music chain gone back or have you like kind of stayed with what you were listening to during the no, whole COVID just thing? Like, kind of like, you know, I mean, I came in the other day and I said, I like, you know, I was like, oh, I'm in London and, the, uh, you know, the, I've got a wall of windows here and the sun was mm -hmm. shining and I put on Otis Redding and I was just like, sitting in and I was like, this is cool. <laughs> this is cool. I was like, I'm in the groove now. And it was That's literally... Awesome. The first album that I listened to in, you know, end to end, and and every every track was just like, mm. I listened to a bit of Prince earlier today because you okay. know, it's it's Prince's day today, and yeah, you know, yeah. And, you know and and I saw I saw something interesting. Instead of rest in peace, it was rest in power, and I thought that was kind okay. of apt. Yeah, I think that was really apt at the moment, and you know, I think it's. You know, someone someone like that was very special to me. You know, that kind of I really identified with how interesting he was. I went when he played in London, I think he played like I think it was a series of like twenty gigs. Wow. Um 
And the best gig of all was one evening he went to a pub around the corner and there was maybe 150, 200 people. And he just sat at the piano and did this like, just walked in and basically sat down at the piano, 150 people in the pub, you know, literally nobody knew about it. And we were all at the pub and it was just around the corner from the Exile Center um, in East London. And he was just Southeast London, actually, really gnarly pub. And he just kind of honky tonked away. And it was incredible. And I always think, you know, people who make music for the sake of music, it's like, it's like doing hair for the sake of doing hair. You know, and it's, it's, I'm just thinking about other music. I I just literally, (laughs) it's like a complete blank because I just didn't listen to any of my usual bands. I didn't play. My Spotify has been fallow pretty much. You know, I can't tell you when I last, you know, I just haven't been using it. Even when I've been traveling, I've been watching movies rather than listening to the soundtracks on movies. Like when I've been, you know, watching flying, when I flew to Switzerland, I kind of headphones on, lighter, you know, put, put my mask on, put everything on over the goggles. I was like, holy cow, this is claustrophobic. You know, I was in a full hazmat suit. And I was there and I was just listening to, you know, a soundtrack basically, you know, and yeah. voices were incidental. And I really, I really kind of have got an appreciation for how composers who, who work on films actually it's you know and now advertising as well every time i hear a jingle you know a, an advertising thing comes up on youtube instead of getting cheesed off and hitting you know movement waiting for that five seconds i'll listen to the jingle now and i'm getting something out of it and i'm thinking wow. you know, yeah it, it's it's how it sets the mood for the product it's selling and i think you know I always go back and okay you know we'll with David in the salon, with our salon in, in Manchester, we always used to come six o'clock, we could put our own music on in the salon in Manchester. Mm. You know, we had 70 staff, like seven floors of salon. It, it was a big salon, but once you got to six o'clock, anything went and the tunes came out and, you know, and, and we had like a different kind. It was almost like a whole different clientele evolved. Um, That's awesome. And I, and I was always like, why, why does this only happen at six o'clock? Why can't this handle happen at nine o'clock in the morning? Yeah. You know, because if you think about it, you wake up and you're having a crappy day. What do you do? Put on a great tune. Yeah. You know, and, you're, yeah. And, and, you're, and you're out of it. You know, it doesn't matter how demotivated you're feeling. You know, you put on a happy tune and you're away or, you know, an old favorite. Um, like, you know, I've got this guy, Voodoo Kung Fu. He's like a Chinese heavy metal. Um, and we've been we've been talking online. I've used his music and his videos at a couple of noise shows, and he's a fascinating guy. I mean, he's built like a truck. He looks like a gigantic bodybuilder, you know, really mm. aggressive, you know, covered in blood on stage, and he's kind of really a wild guy. But I love I find his music very very soothing, you know, and it's it's pretty much, you know, it's kind of on a, on a par with Norwe- Norwegian black metal. Really. But instead of where is that, I used jar people when I, if I'm listening to tunes. Like I listen to him and I feel it soothing. Mm-hmm. Like it's really, really interesting. Um, it's funny because uh, I haven't been listening to anything I usually listen to either. Like I was so like yeah. pre-COVID, I was really into like this whole kind of like modern day country, you know, like almost honky-tonk, which are mostly my friends that are putting the music out. Yeah. But, since then, I've been like just stuck on on like jazz, and I've never been into jazz whatsoever. 
But now it's like I can't get enough Miles Davis. I mean, that's all I listen to now is Miles Davis. I mean, you know, which, that, like, that's yeah, never yeah. been my thing at all. You know, really, yeah, that's interesting. It's yeah, that's really interesting. To Fiona Apple. I don't know. Fiona Apple. Okay, oh I'm my gonna, God. I'm Hold on. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? I'm going to ignore that you said that. <laughs> Fiona Apple. Okay. Are you ready? I'm going to get a black mark here for this one. Uh, Neil Diamond. <laughs> Neil Love Diamond. Neil. Love yeah. Neil Diamond. And actually, I, li- I did listen to some Johnny Cash. Uh, um, like, it, it was like one of those things that, like, when I was really miserable and battling and, you know, like during COVID, it was like, you know, um, my dad always used to listen to Johnny Cash. And it was like, you know, my dad passed in 98, so I mean, a long time ago, and I was like really battling, and I was like, shit, if I'm going to die, I want to listen to Johnny Cash. Yeah. And I, I played Johnny Cash, and it, I mean, I got to this, the, A Boy Named Sue, you know the track? Oh, yeah. 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 And I was like, hell, man, what am I doing lying here? And I got up, <laughs> and my doctor told me to walk to the top of the stairs and walk down, you know, for exercise. But he said, you have to regenerate the tissue in your lungs he said because this thing is intracellular it's killing the cells in your lungs and you need to move up and down the stairs and i was like laying there and i was flipping it through and i linked plugged it into my um speakers about the computer and I, I did set the speakers up actually you know because when i was watching all the soundtracks i just listened to the soundtracks and have movies playing Blade Runner, ooh, killer soundtrack. Oh, yeah, I think yeah, Rid- yeah. Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott's got some incredible, and that's how I got into Hans Zimmer. You know, some of his soundtracks mm. are just mind blowing. Um, you know, really consummate kind of transition from the power of advertising into the power of music and film. You know, you, yeah. you you listen to, you know, you watch Gladiator and things like that. I was listening to Chariots of Fire. Somebody recommended that in the interview, and I great really soundtrack. Yeah. It's soundtrack. Yeah, yes. really beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, and then d- I didn't, I didn't do what I normally do. Normally, I'd go and I'd get ready into Vangelis and you know, kind of find all the little minutia about them. But I didn't. I was just like, okay, I'm listening to that soundtrack, and I'll go into the next movie, and the next movie, and the next movie. Um, and that, yeah, that's cool. And and each movie kind of had its own little world of music. A lot of Hitchcock. And some really mm. interesting music, um, you know, like how he created moves, uh, moods with sounds and mm-hmm. you know, how he created the sense of space. And I think that's where Hans Zimmer is mind blowing, you know, like it's, you know, he, he has this orchestral approach to a soundscape. And, and, and David Lynch is exactly the same, you know, the, sure. you watch Mulholland Drive and you're like, my God, I'm going to pass out. This is so boring. Yeah. You know, the, and then you close your eyes. That and is you a listen great to the, you yeah. Listen yeah. To the music, and it's like, wow, this is immersive. Yeah, yeah. But the movie I itself, love, I, I don't think it, it's not one of his stronger movies, is it? No, it was it was David Lynch pretty much trying to be David Lynch. It was him yeah. trying to outdo himself. Yeah, it wasn't Blue Velvet. I mean, Blue Velvet. No, oh my no. God. I think I watched Blue Velvet like I watched that like four times. So. You know, the top 10 albums kind of just didn't happen for me, which I, okay. is a very odd thing. And then like, I'm thinking about it now going, wow, that's really strange thinking about, you know, how glued to music I am. Because, you know, normally for me, we like in the studio. And that's one thing that I am kind of maybe happy to be out of the studio a little bit because it's got so millennial and the music is so banal. And I was talking to a friend mm-hmm. the other day and I was like riding around New York trying to get fits and stuff. And. And I said to him, he's here in London, and he's really into the harmonica. Um, 
you know, which is really funny. I'm, um, you know, who's into the harmonica anymore? Yeah. 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 And we, and we were, were talking about it and he said, you know, listen to some Dylan. He said it had social impetus. You listen to Neil Young, you listen to Hendrix. These people were making social commentary about the times. They weren't just making mindless, entertaining jingles. And I think this has been another huge shift in our society mm-hmm. that vacuous shit has become important or you know and we think you know like people go you know like i'm really into beyonce or something like that and like i don't want to denigrate their tunes but you know they um i had i was chatting to him again yesterday and diddy's brought out this song i'm black i'm black and he was like can you imagine if when that happened where you know in the middle of stonewall riots if Elton John had brought out, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, people would have yeah. laughed at him. Yeah. It just said nothing. It said absolutely nothing about the problem. And I was like, it's almost, it's taken away from the importance of music and it's denigrated it to a really sad point where, you know, I'm like, how are the millennials supposed to be inspired by music if this is the crap that's out there? Yeah. You know, that it's, it's, yeah. an, it's, not, it's a terrible advertising jingle even. You know, like, I, I mean, you know, and the video for it was terrible and everything. I'm like, I was just like, wow, you know, this is, this is someone who really has this incredible platform. You know, he's obviously extremely well-educated. He's smart. He understands the business of, of this, you know, come out and say something. You know, he's going to the lowest common denominator, yeah. I mean, it's the lowest of the low. And it was so disappointing yeah. because you're like, come on. And, you know, all these sportsmen like have come and stepped up to the front and you've got the NBA supporting Kaepernick now. And you're like, wow, this is, this is really a coalescence of all these incredible personalities and incredible power that are, it, this is what's going to take to elevate that 30%. Because really, yeah. that's what this is about. This is about 30% of their black population that is different, disenfranchised, and intolerably so. You know, mm-hmm. and come on, we, we all listen to black music. We all listen to, you know, we watch, but you know, I watched Mario Van Peebles the other day. Um, and, you know, I was just like, wow, he, he was an incredible director. Where did he disappear to? You know, he made, he made that Panthers movie and basically was killed, you know, because it was too yeah. contentious. Um, you know, and he was a very, he was a very, very good director. I thought like, you know, I really thought like he had the potential to be, you know, a white Tarantino. Uh He had social issues. He had had entertainment. His casting was brilliant. The music was brilliant, but you know, he made something that was a little contentious, contentious and he was nailed. Yeah. Michelle did. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I just think we're at a time where things, we're in transition mm-hmm. and hope, hopefully we don't slide back, you know, like it's, you know, whether it's music, film, hairdressing, you know, fashion, please God, you know, fashion needed to change. It was desperate. You know, it was being run by a bunch of geriatric old ladies. Um, <laughs> you know, it really, it, it was, it was not inspiring. When did you last pick up a fashion magazine and go, wow, this is hot? You know, like yeah, I couldn't even you tell know, you last time I picked up a fashion magazine, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and it's even been now, so boring it's like, for years. You're one tenth of my day. I'll do, you know, ten boring shots, and then you know, the last thing I've got this like, you know, the, this ten minute wonder that I call it, and I'm like, give me ten minutes at the end of 
every shoot. And that's my deal with my photographers now. It doesn't matter who I'm doing, you know, and I'll be like, give me 10 minutes and I'm going to create something. And we're going to do one amazing shot and show you what it should have looked like. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it's fun. And I think it's, you know, it's like a client who's like, you know, cynical about a color. Like, okay, let's, let me put in a little, you know, we're putting someone like, you know, underneath on the hairline. Right. And you put, you know, you put in four foils either side, you know, just to lift it up, just to, just to lighten the whole thing up and it becomes exciting, you know, yeah. and just to introduce them. Doesn't, you know, how long, how much does foil, four foils either side cost you? But the moment they put it up, suddenly it's like, whoa, this is exciting. You yeah. Know, when did, when did we ever think, you know, we, we were trained to do that, but, how many people still do that when they're trying to introduce a client? You know, you focus on this, the root and the regrowth and the regrowth is maintenance. We've got to change yeah. our minds on that. You know, like this idea of creating regrowth to create income doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Right. yeah it's all change know, time. It's going to totally change our business. Yeah. I'm so I got to say, this was such a great interview. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really I'm thankful that you're on here. I, I mean, it, it was really awesome to sit and chat with you and learn a little bit about you and you know, get your opinions and all Hopefully that. I would love to actually have you. <laughs> oh, I, I, no, I think this is... I don't even, I, yeah, I don't even care if anybody else finds it in, in, interesting. This is you know more for me than anything, I think. Exactly. Um, but I'd love to have you back on again sometime if, you, if you'd want to do it. Yeah, and, just just uh, text me. Like, a, you know, no not like we have... Not like we're busy at the moment. And I think, you know, like I, want to, I want to create time for interaction. I want to create time for, yeah. you know, because this, as, and, you know, it, as much as people get vicariously from me, I get vicariously because this makes me think about things. So, you know, sure. doing interviews like this, you know I, know, I knew you were coming out of the left field anyway. I knew you were going to come with something different. You know, just thinking about the music, like I hadn't really thought about the music. The fact that I hadn't listened to music. Like I knew I hadn't, but I hadn't really processed why. And right. yeah. I'll go away and think about that now. And I think that becomes interesting. So, you know, like I've accompanied celebrities on tours when they, you know, for the movies, when they kind of do their, the same spiel again and again and again. And, you know, then they'll get into someone interesting and good. And suddenly they come alive. And that's what makes me feel alive now. You know, I go away and I'll be like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to listen to some old Miles Davis now. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's what that's what i'm gonna put on this evening you know and i've been keeping crazy hours you know i'm up till four or five in the morning this morning like the sun was coming up i was like geez i better go to bed now it's getting ridiculous <laughs> but you know awesome. like, miles davis will treat me well then yeah, yeah well thank you guys very very much thank you peter very much from the bottom of my heart anytime really anytime thank, thank you, you both very much it's so really been interesting really interesting. awesome thank you thank you talk to you guys later all right, take, take it care. easy. See you Thank you so much again for listening to the super important podcast about hair. Featuring Stephen Adams and the host Ryan Teal. Hopefully we'll see you again. If you want to follow us, follow us at the Super Important Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and our website.